Shalom. Well, I've a lot to tell you this week, but let's start with a little recap for those who didn't hear the first part of my story, or those, like me, whose memories are a little unreliable. I'm Naomi. Returned to my hometown of Bethlehem after many years, but carrying a heavy burden of woe. I lost my husband and then two sons while I was away. My only family is Ruth, my daughter-in-law from Moab. But she has been kind and faithful to me and I love her dearly. That said, she can be a little naive. Let me go and glean in the fields, she says, as if it was perfectly normal to beg for scraps. I mean, a young woman of foreign extraction can't expect to get much favour when times are hard. It's not long since we had a famine in Israel, so when it comes to harvest time, you can't blame the farmers for wanting to gather in whatever they can. The last thing they want is someone trying to gather the leftover scraps of barley, poor widow or not. So, I wasn't hopeful when she set off that morning. I mean, you don't know what might happen these days. But we were hungry, and to be honest, really didn't have any other options. No income, and my own family land left untended for years. Perhaps she'd scraped together enough for a small meal between us. I fretted all day, and when she'd not come back in the evening, I was really worried. Should I go and look for her? But there were lots of fields around Bethlehem, and I had no way of knowing where she went. When the door opened and she came in, I rushed to greet her, except I stopped dead and I saw how much barley she was carrying. Piles of it! And then she reached into her bag and pulled out some roasted grain. It was left over from lunch, she said. Lunch, I said. Whose lunch? She said, the man who owned the field called me over to eat with him and his men when they broke for a meal. He gave me more than I could eat. I was flabbergasted. I mean, I'd heard people say that the law of our God told farmers to leave something in their fields for the poor and the alien. But... Surely that was just when the land was bountiful. And this man, whoever he was, had been generous even beyond that. When she told me his name, my heart skipped a beat. Boaz, our close relative. I knew of his kindness from long ago, but, well, I assumed the years done to him what they'd done to me. Worn me down and left me less expectant, less willing to rely on God's provision and more determined to fend for myself. But Boaz, it seemed, remained true to God's generous ways, reflecting God's faithfulness, holding on to hope and passing it on to others. We rejoiced as we ate well that night for the first time in weeks. When Ruth told me that Boaz had invited her to glean in his fields all through the days of harvest, I told her she must go. She would be safe there and able to gather enough barley to see us through the months ahead. It gave me hope again. I was back in God's promised land, back amongst his people, back under his wings. Good morning, Year 8, I say cheerfully. 
It is only half past eight in the morning, but I need to be that friendly, welcoming voice for those half-awake students. I'm sitting at my desk in my classroom, and I'm looking out at rows of tables and chairs, but there are no faces looking back at me. The tables and chairs, well, they're all empty. Instead, I have 25 icons on a screen. I can't see their faces. There's no video allowed, but they can communicate with me in the chat function. And occasionally, they will ask me a question. Of course, it's not ideal. It would be so much better if everyone were physically in the classroom. But we're getting more used to this online learning and developing more ways to check on understanding and to ensure that everyone stays involved. We're distanced, but still connected through the wonders of technology. The lesson's going well, I think, and then, unexpectedly, the screen freezes. Perhaps you've had a similar experience with an online meeting or call. My heart sank as I realized I'd lost the connection, and my only option was to switch off the computer and start all over again. Will the class still be there? Or have they taken the opportunity to slip back to bed? They're teenagers, after all. A few minutes later, that seemed like ages as I willed the computer to work just that little bit quicker, the connection was restored. And you know what? All the students were still there. And they were just waiting for me to return. So, reconnected, the lesson continued. Why am I telling you about my Year 8 class? Well, this morning, as you know, we're thinking about this theme of reconnecting. In the last 16 months or so, we have become used to connecting with one another through technology. Our experience of God and our experience of community life has been shaped by our online connections or by our lack of connection sometimes. And for some of us, there have been times when we have acutely felt that lack of connection, that sense of disconnect from events on a screen. One person commented to me that it felt like watching a television program, and I'm sure that there are others who have shared that feelings at times. Another struggle has been the lack of human contact, people just to talk to and to share our joys, concerns, doubts, worries. And for some of us, there have been times in which we have felt a profound sense of disconnect from God and from his purposes. Do you long to connect with God in a new way? Are you feeling empty and need God to renew your strength and fill you with fresh hope? Are you excited about reconnecting with one another and exploring new ways to function as a community of believers? Then I believe this chapter in Ruth has so much to say to us. Although we've been looking at the book of Ruth, I've been really moved by the story of Naomi. And I've really enjoyed the dramatized readings that we've had. 
I felt like they really brought the story to life. The story of a woman who has lost everything and then found it again. The story of a journey from emptiness to fullness, from bitterness to blessing. As we heard last week, forced from her homeland by a famine, Naomi had begun to make a new life in Moab. Although she had settled into life there for a while, life does not go smoothly for her. Firstly, losing her husband, and then her two sons, leaving no male relative to take care of her. The grief of losing her husband and sons, compounded by the reality that she has no one to provide for her. Perhaps then you can understand why she says to her daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpha, as she encourages them to return to Moab, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Can you hear that pain in her words? Here is a woman who has lost hope. She expresses her pain further in chapter 1, verse 21, when she says that she went away full, but that she has returned empty. When she left Bethlehem, her life had purpose. She was fulfilled in her family. Now she regards herself as having nothing. Even her name, Naomi, seems to be a painful reminder. Naomi means pleasant, and her life seemed anything but pleasant. In fact, she asked people to call her Mara, meaning bitter, as that is how she was feeling. Do you know why I think I felt drawn to Naomi? She's real and she's honest. As we face our own circumstances, perhaps ones of heartache, heartbreak, disappointment, pain, we can and we should be honest and real with one another. As we begin to meet together in greater numbers, there will be inevitably people we encounter who have had many different, potentially painful experiences in the last year or so. The situation has impacted on everybody's mental health and well-being to some extent, significantly in some cases. Are we willing to be that Jesus-shaped community where we feel free to share our struggles and our doubts? No masks needed, where it's okay just to be not to be okay. And I, I was so moved by Margaret's story this morning and how she felt honest and, and able to share uh, her experiences. And, you know, I hope that moving forward we can uh, do that more often and have those times of testimony where we can share those, th those circumstances that we're going through. Coming back to Naomi, this bitter, broken, empty woman is able to declare just a short time later that God hasn't quite walked out on us after all. He still loves us in bad times as well as good. That's Ruth, 20, uh, Ruth 2.20 in the message translation. What a contrast. What has caused this change in her? 
to be able to recognize the faithfulness of God and the constancy of his love and provision. How has hope been reawakened in her? We are going to explore that some more in the events of chapter 2, but I believe there is a first step in that change. I think that she has acknowledged her distance from God. Both her literal distance while she was living in Moab, but also her spiritual disconnect from his purposes and his community. She has taken the first step to return to Bethlehem and to the people of God. In those moments of life where you feel distant from God, when you feel you are disconnected for whatever reason, are you able to say, am I able to say, I will put my trust and hope in God my Father because I want to get right with him. Maybe things have not gone in the way I'd hoped or planned, but the answer doesn't lie in going further away from God, but in drawing closer to him. Hope comes from trusting in God's love and faithfulness by remembering that in bad times as well as good. God's love is constant. And I love this verse in Lamentations. I'm going to read you two uh, different versions. Firstly, the NIV and then the message. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And in the message it says, Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one thing I remember, and remembering I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. This morning, I wonder, maybe is God prompting you to recognize your spiritual disconnect from his purposes and his community? Is God calling you to take the first step back to right relationship with him, to reconnect with his love? In chapter one last week, we saw how God began to work in the life of Naomi, bringing loyal Ruth into her life. Now, in chapter 2, we learn more about how Naomi was able to turn this corner towards hope as we see more evidence of the sovereign hand of God at work. Firstly, the pair arrived in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest was beginning. I love how God's timing is just so perfect. In need of food, Ruth goes to glean in the fields. As the law instructed, the margins of the fields were left unharvest, and any grain dropped by the harvester was left for the poor to collect. When Ruth returns home, Naomi notices that she's collected far more than would be expected in a day. This is an unexpected blessing. So, of course, she questions her. Verse 3 says that it turned out 
or in another translation, it just happened, that the field that Ruth went to belonged to a man named Boaz. I think it's great how that little phrase is thrown in there. Just happened. When actually, this is another example of the sovereign hand of God at work. God directs and guides us, sometimes even when we are unaware. He is more than able to put the right people in our way at just the right time. In this case, Boaz was not only a good and godly man who ensured that Ruth was protected as she gleaned in his fields, he was also a relative of Naomi's late husband. As we shall see in the next chapters, that is significant. And Boaz plays an important part both in Ruth and Naomi's future and in God's plans for his people. God's purposes are being worked out just at the right time. When Naomi sees all that Ruth has collected and whose field she has entered, it produces more than thankfulness from Naomi. It prompts a renewal of her faith. This is the moment of encouragement that she needs when she recognizes God's guiding hand and his provision. Naomi's prayer of blessing on Boaz in verse 20 is a turning point. It lifts her from the darkness of her own sorrow into praise. God bless that man. God hasn't quite walked out on us after all. He still loves us in bad times as well as good. God had brought Naomi and Ruth, an earthly redeemer. The Lord had led them to the one person who could provide for their needs and keep them safe. When it looks like all is lost, when all hope is gone, look up. We're not alone, not abandoned. There are signs every day of God at work in the world. Even this morning, we've had examples of those through John, Jane, Viv and Margaret, the way that God can intervene. God is still at work in the situations you face. He's guiding, protecting, blessing. When you recognize those moments, allow your thankfulness to be a renewal of your faith. God has given us a redeemer. His name is Jesus. If you want to reconnect with hope, come back to Jesus, the source of living hope. In verses 11 and 12, Boaz acknowledges the loyalty that Ruth has shown to Naomi and says, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. God was at work sheltering the two widows under his wings. Under his wings, Ruth and Naomi found a renewing strength, a peace, a comfort, a security. In the same way, he is able to cover our broken hearts with his wings and provide a safe shelter for us to share our feelings, emotions, and fears. Maybe you need to rest today under the covering of those wings. Take refuge and let him shelter your heart and provide the strength you need to heal. But the image brings both comfort and challenge. Ruth let go of all other sources of identity and security to take refuge under the wings of God. 
her family, her prospects of marriage, her homeland. She let go of all the other refuge and banked everything on finding refuge in the God of Israel. This is what it means to take refuge in God. It means leaving all our other refuges at the door and coming to him empty-handed. I wonder, where have you sought to find refuge recently? As a foreigner and a woman, Ruth is potentially extremely vulnerable in the fields where she's gleaning. However, Boaz is a man of godly character, a fair and kind employer. He begins the day with a blessing. He welcomes the stranger, generously offering her protection and access to the laborer's water. He expects his workers to show the same care for the poor and the foreigner, instructing them to leave extra for Ruth to collect. He ensures that Ruth is treated properly and honors her for the sacrifice that she's made in coming with Naomi. He showed empathy and compassion. He understood her situation and shielded her from harm. What a model for community life, welcoming and accepting others, treating one another with compassion, caring for the needs of others, being generous with our hospitality. As we begin to return to more activities in church, then we must consider how we can create a reconnected community that models those qualities. What part should we have in enabling those on the edge of community to connect and engage? When our own welcome to newcomers is generous and compassionate, we make it easier for them to belong and to find their own refuge in the living God. We will shortly move into a time of response in music and in prayer. If you are feeling in some way disconnected from God and his purposes, draw near to him. Take refuge under the shelter of his wings and allow him to heal the hurt that you're feeling. What's your part in reconnecting our community life? In the example of Boaz, we see that our actions can make a big difference to the lives of people, the others around us. What new areas of service is God calling you to in his church? Ask him to reveal where you're needed, where you can show compassion to others, and the ways in which you can ensure that all are welcome and accepted. If you feel empty and without hope this morning, then use this time of response to ask God to fill you afresh with the hope that only he can bring. I need you to know that I stopped at that point and I was going to finish there. But then I found that my heart was really wrestling. I felt myself asking God, how can I speak about hope in every circumstance when I look around and I see that life can be so difficult? And God spoke really powerfully to me through a tweet that I happened to read. It was a tweet that the family of the Reverend Dr. Joel Edwards had posted after he died earlier this week. Some of you may know of Reverend Edwards. He was a great man of faith who had served in many areas of ministry for 40 years in this country and abroad. He was chair of the Evangelical Alliance for some years and also contributed to public life in various roles. 
And this is what he had written. Dear friends, this is to say a final goodbye. First, my incredible thanks for your prayers, love, and holding on with me to that fingernail miracle. Words cannot express the depth, breadth, and height of my gratitude, but I have gone home. My earnest prayer is that your faith and tenacity on my behalf will not be considered a pointless religious exercise, but that it will have strengthened your faith in a God who is marvelous, mysterious, and majestic in all that he does, the faithful one. I commend you to God and to the words of his grace that is able to build us up and give us an inheritance among those that are being saved. I just found that so powerful. Reverend Edwards was able to see God moving and working despite everything. He truly grasped the truth that Naomi expressed when she said that God loves us in good times and in bad. The marvelous, mysterious, and majestic faithful one is doing work in your life and in the lives of those around you that you cannot even begin to comprehend. And in everything, God's grace and love is poured out through Jesus, our Redeemer, through whom we have salvation. I pray that today you will know in a fresh way the peace and hope of Jesus. Amen.